Hey, everybody. Welcome to the pre-roll for ELL 177. You know, at the top of the show, I just want to ask you to help us out, support what we're doing and all the time and effort we're putting in, uh, extra content we're putting out there, doing these debates. Of course, we just had our last debate, which I'm going to talk about in just a minute, on uh, which you heard yesterday, actually, on our feed, which took place Tuesday night. But on top of that, Degenerate Gamblers, Conspiracy Corners, our live feed beer pong tournaments that we play with me, Rico, Odie, Howie, and sometimes JB on the weekends to keep you sane, keep you laughing. We live stream those to our pride group. And of course, you could get in at higher levels, $15, you get all our emails, $25, you get to take part in our Mufasa calls, video discussions with us once a month, and you can go higher than that should you so decide to support us, to support, let us go to uh, all these libertarian events that we like to attend, to pump out extra content and upgrade our gear. Baby, we don't have Joe Rogan Spotify money. You guys are our Spotify money. So help us out. Go to patreon.com forward slash Lions of Liberty. Welcome to Electric Liberty Land, here on the Lions of Liberty podcast, your weekly shot of culture, comedy, and liberty with your host, Brian McWilliams. Welcome, welcome, welcome. It is me, Brian, quote, alternative host, unquote, McWilliams, a nickname that was bestowed upon me on Monday's show, the flagship Lions of Liberty show, where Mark had Gene Epstein, of course, the uh, the great Don of the New York Liberty scene and the founder and uh, head debater of the Soho Forum. He came on Monday's show and I guess gave me a flattering shout out by saying that uh, Angela McArdle, who was on my show, he was referencing her. They, uh, she came up in conversation and of course, Gene goes, Oh yeah. One of your alternative hosts. Uh, what was his name? Yeah. Thanks a lot, Gene. You're on my list. You hear me, Epstein? You're on my list. The best, most listened to host on this show. Brian McWilliams, the one and the only. Don't forget it, Epstein. Come over there. Leave a damn horse head in your bed. Make sure you never forget the name. Going to be like when Mr. Burns forgot Homer Simpson's name and he just traumatizes him. And Gene Epstein's going to wake up. Only thing he can say is Brian McWilliams over and over again. Brian McWilliams. Brian McWilliams. Brian McWilliams. Yes. Alternative host. Alternative host you. Anyway, welcome to Electric Liberty Land, episode number 177, everybody. Of course, you can find the show notes for today's episode, which is airing on a Thursday. But these show notes will be at lionsofliberty.com forward slash ELL 177. And yes, I don't know. Maybe you listen to me regularly on Thursdays. I know some of you uh, trickle in. I think a lot of my downloads do happen the day the episode comes out. I think probably about 75%. But you know, some of you are stragglers. I know you have a lot of content to get through. So maybe it's Friday, which is probably even better. I mean, for those of you that like to drink and listen to me, even if it's in the morning, a little bourbon and the coffee, I know that hearing me on a Thursday is going to be even better because you can be that much drunker being closer to the weekend. And naturally, those of you listening on a Friday, well, you just must be like pigs and shit, drunken pigs and shit, snorting and snuffling and truffling around, probably fondling each other's little piggy tails. Ah, those curly Q tails. Sexual. I kid, of course, not sexual. It's not in my Pornhub history, don't you worry. 
But anyway, I am here on a Thursday, and I did watch the debate. Of course, I hope every single one of you did as well. A uh, big thank you to Chris Spangle of We Are Libertarians, by the way, who handled the back end of that for us uh, and produced it for us and helped share that to all of the We Are Libertarians platforms. If you don't listen to We Are Libertarians, give Chris a, a listen as well. He's a great guy, good sense of humor as well, and, uh, and a good friend of ours on the show. But yeah, coming out of the debate, I mean, I... I'll give a quick take on this, um, and maybe I should preface this with talking about Amash dropping out, because I haven't had a chance to talk about that since he did. I will say that I am happy about it. I am relieved. I'm happy about it. Even though I do like Justin Amash, uh, I think that he does a great service for liberty, and I think his being in the Senate, or I'm sorry, in the House of Representatives as a uh, libertarian, the first libertarian congressman is fantastic. And I think that he can do a lot of good there, but he needs to focus on being reelected and expanding the libertarian brand in that seat. So I'm happy he dropped out. I thought it would have been, number one, it threw the party into a complete uproar. I think you would have had a similar situation where he would have de facto gotten the boat. All these people that have been working, that have been really passionate about building up their brand and building up the brand of liberty uh, and really focused on the, the party platforms and the principles would have been pushed to the side. And not to say that Justin Amash doesn't share a lot of the principles that we do share, and I think he'll probably come around to more of them, but in his initial appearances in the media, didn't do an especially great job of communicating that. I think he was still feeling it out and trying trying to appeal to a little bit too broad a spectrum of people, uh, that being the left. Now, this cycle coming through, I don't think that libertarians have a chance in hell of, of making a dent. I think Amash would have gotten, gotten some people's interest, but I think that the hatred of Donald Trump or the reverse hatred where people, you know, it's kind of the rebound effect or the rejecting uh, rejecting the left because they've just become such progressive assholes and overbearing uh, scolds. That's going to go a long way to establishing Trump's base are definitely going to vote for him again. Definitely. I think the coronavirus, the response from the Democrats, and I'm going to talk about this a lot in the show, but the over response and the scolding from the Democrats is going to be pushing people that might have been questioning their dedication to Trump right back into his arms. And, you know, Trump nations, Trump nation. They still love him. They still love his tweets. They love how boisterous he is. They love his fighting spirit. They're going to support him. A libertarian doesn't have a place as, as far as running a straight campaign, which is what Justin Amash would have done as somebody that would have come out not as a firebrand, not as a, as a person that's really just fighting for libertarian principles and only libertarian principles. I think he would have come across in a very Gary Johnson-ish way, although much better and with a, a better record to point at as far as the legislator goes. But he would have still been running a campaign that would have been very placating to the left and the right rather than one that would have been a, a real a groundbreaker, you know, something that would have cut through, something that would have been a, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? God, it begins with the DNA's can't think, a disruptor, right? We talk about disruption. That is a buzzword thrown around in all sorts of goddamn communications. But being a disruptor, I think he's far better suited being in Congress, running as a libertarian again, living and, and legislating as a libertarian, building his brand up and helping libertarians build their brand up, and then four years from now, running again. 
I think that that will go a long way. I think that I would be far more comfortable supporting him as a presidential candidate. And I think if he came in at that point, having built up four years of cred with the party, where it's not a guy just coming in from the outside and skipping a lot of the debates and skipping a lot of the a lot of the rigmarole everybody else went through, you know, having skipped a lot of these conventions, uh, I think he'll he'll get a fairly large and easy path to the nomination for the LP. And hopefully we have grown the party and done our job in the interim. Because I don't know if Trump's going to be more authoritarian and more warmongery or less. I don't know if he's going to be going down and doing more of the things that he ran on as far as ending regime change, as far as being better with Kim Jong-un, as far as uh, reining in and letting people do what they want with the drug war and legalizing marijuana, as far as deregulating everything. I just don't know. You know, it's oftentimes you see the true presidential agendas come through in the second time, the second term, since they don't have to worry about re-election. I think Donald Trump 100% will be re-elected. And the libertarians, regardless of how he governs, if he governs in a way that we like, we can say more of that. We're going to do that, but much more. Everything that he did that worked, we've been telling you, works for decades now. You need to follow our lead, and you need to give us a chance to run run this and take the helm. If he goes the opposite way, if he goes more totalitarian, if he callous tells the Democrats, or if this COVID nonsense continues to go, and we have two years of COVID lockdowns and you know all this fighting, and these Democrats continue to push uh, just rabid nonsense bullshit through in the House and the Senate with their new green deals and their massive spending and you know spending trillions on sending immigrants uh, to college, Ill- illegal immigrants to college, I should say. Well, then we've got a lot to push back on the other side. We can push back against all the spending, all of the uh, the bailouts, the welfare state, the handouts, the corporate welfare, the cronyism, everything else. We just have a better chance in four years with a straightforward campaign like an Amash would run, like a Judge Gray would run uh, with something like I think even a Jacob Hornberger would run. And that brings me to what happened in the debate and my takeaway. And I will let you know who I'm supporting in the race. And this is very difficult um, because I, there were three candidates who really made it to the, to my final pickings. Okay. And that's not to discount uh, Joe Jorgensen, I think is, is a great, great uh, voice for Liberty. I respect her quite a bit. I think she's a very intelligent woman and I, and I hope that she remains a big part of the party moving forward, but she just, for me, didn't grab me, just didn't grab me. I just, I, for me, it was just like, okay, well, this is somebody that's very versed in the plank, but for some reason she was not grabbing my attention. Uh, I know a lot of people are hitting her about NSA stuff. She did say she discounts the NSA and would, and just get rid of them on their debate. Uh, Adam Kokesh, love the guy to death, love him to death. But for me this time around, wasn't the candidate that I wanted to put forward. Uh, same thing when we're talking about judge Jim Gray, I love Larry Sharp. And as of right now, I am undecided as far as who I'm going to pick as VP, but most likely, more than likely, Larry Sharp. And I'm going to come back to that in a second. Uh, but Jim Gray has issues for me and that I, I think that he, again, I hope he is a strong voice in the party. I hope he remains active. I want to see him active within the party and as a voice that can be uh, tapped for interview on certain occasions for the party. But he has views that I could not jive with, you know, his uh, support for long lasting institutions of welfare, you know, social security, as far as the keeping the IRS, because he says we need the taxation to keep certain funds going, uh, support for the FBI, things like that. 
I can't get behind and I can't have a candidate out there, even though he does have a plan of attack. He and Larry Sharp have a plan of attack as far as here's how we're going to go out and approach states. I get it. I appreciate it. But I just can't support certain parts of what he uh, what he's supporting. Now, that leaves two. That leaves Jacob Hornberger and Vermin Supreme. I think Jacob Hornberger is a, a fantastic leader in the movement. I think he's a very smart man, a very nice man who has some absolutely hardcore principled positions as far as the way libertarians should be viewed, as far as how the party platform should roll out, as far as our viewpoints on getting rid of these programs, getting rid of welfare, getting rid of social programs, of getting rid of the IRS, of killing the CIA and the FBI off immediately, getting rid of the Department of Education, all of these things. I love Jacob's take on it. But for me, he falls into that, uh, not the Amash camp as far as the way he would communicate the message, which is far more principled and straightforward. But I feel that because we're facing an unprecedented two-party duopoly and two sides that are so vehemently opposed to each other and have been building such animosity, Jacob is not the guy that's going to cut through this time. So Jacob, if you're hearing this, I love you. I respect you immensely. But I made a different decision, and that is I have uh, formally endorsed Vermin Supreme. You probably see a video that will be coming out soon with my endorsement. I'll give you the, uh, I'll try to give it short, but the reason I endorse Vermin is because I feel like his reach, his campaign, his brand right now is what could actually resonate with a younger voting populace, as well as the people that are simply anti-establishment, those who are sick of du the duopoly, those who are sick of what's going on with all the rules and the authoritarianism, the totalitarianism. We have a guy who is a living meme, who is standing up, who said, I am the epitome of outside. But Vermin has also been fighting for 30 years in this party. He has built this character up. He's gotten mainstream media attention. He knows how to work and get media attention. He knows how to work uh, the social platforms quite proficiently. He's got a good team behind him. And I think that with the full force of the Libertarian Party, and I hope other people will support him should he get the nomination, I think that he can really make some massive waves. I could see him cracking the 10% support threshold fairly easily. You need a non-traditional campaign right now. And I think that the in on the joke hashtag in on the joke will speak to a lot of very smart people that are looking at this situation that have been saying this two-party system's gone too far. We're simply going back and forth with totalitarians on both sides and we need something different. They will look to Vermin and they will look to happily cast a protest vote. But it's not just that. It's that this vote is an entryway. Just like with Ron Paul, who was bombastic, Ron Paul came out, he was a guy who would, he was not non-traditional in the way he looked. He wasn't a boot on his head kind of guy, but what he said, the way he said it, the way he approached it and his record were so groundbreaking that it shook people up. It shook them out of a stupor. I think Vermin can shake people out of that stupor. We just need to help him. And people will say, yep, I'm in on the joke. It'll be a badge of pride to say, I'm in on this joke of the system that we are fucking living under. And hopefully from there, 
They get their, they take their pill. They open their eyes to liberty. They open their eyes to what they've been doing. They open their eyes to the way the media has lied to them about the systems they have in place, the way in which these parties have manipulated the world, the way in which they simply pass power back and forth from their elitist high chairs, eating uh, golden baby food up in the clouds and say, this is the shakeup that we need. We get them involved, we build our base, we build the brand up, we build that that support level to the point where we don't have to worry about, or we don't think that 3% is some sort of fucking victory, because it's not. So that's why I'm officially supporting Vermin Supreme. And honestly, I know he's got Spike Cohen as his VP pick. For me, I'd like to see Larry Sharp. I want to see a Vermin Sharp ticket. Because that would bring together two of the absolute most potent campaigners, communicators, fundraisers, people who have brought a lot of people to the party. Vermin Supreme has by far brought more people into the party by registration numbers per the LP than any other candidate. Larry Sharp has done an incredible job raising awareness. He's a great communicator. He's a great public speaker. He's a businessman. He's a serious guy with a ton of energy. That pairing, imagine Vermin up there this boisterous meme, but you've got Larry to say, look, this is the serious side. And Vermin can be very serious as well. He's got good platform if you go to his website and read it. So you got Larry supporting that. You've got Larry who can get out there, who can really, uh, if we, if you want a voice of, of pure straight reason, you've got Larry out there communicating and just busting his ass because Larry does not stop. So you got on one side, you got the rabid dog, <laughs> and you got the Energizer bunny. <laughs> Um, and that's a ticket I really want to see. So while I still might look, uh, I'm, I still may go with Spike Cohen, who is Vermin's VP pick. Um, Larry Sharp for me is, uh, is the guy that has always really captured my attention. Uh, and I did have the, the opportunity to hang out with him in person as well at the California LP convention and just is, uh, is as, as impressive, as intelligent in person as you see him online and, uh, and in interviews. So there you go, guys. Hashtag in on the joke. Okay, so let's hop into some show topics here. Uh, First off, good news, bad news, right? The Senate voted down some protections against warrantless uh, government collection of browser data and search history. That sucks. Of course, went along, even some Democrats jumped on board and went across the aisle to vote for those. Now, one Democrat who did not vote against it, who usually does, is Bernie Sanders. And this was basically a reauthorization of the same uh, bullshit nonsense freedom USA Freedom Act, the leftovers of the Patriot Act that allow warrantless surveillance, be able to get your search histories, get your records, no problem. So they're trying to protect that, especially in the wake of all these abuses. Bernie Sanders not there to vote on this bill, not there to to uh, voice his dissent. God knows where Bernie is. I guess he's in hiding because he's a feeble old man, a coward, and a weak individual who, of course, just dropped out of the race with a little of a little more fight than you'd expect from a, a worm in the sidewalk on the rain, or worm in the rain on the sidewalk. There you go. Took me a minute to get that that imagery pulled up there, but God, you ever smell those disgusting worm smells just lying on the sidewalk after a rain? It's like a, a just a weird, nasty smell. That's what I imagine Bernie Sanders just smells like all the time. Like, I just imagine his suits are damp all the time. Like, you know, just some reason you could put a Bernie Sanders suit in the sunshine all day long, and it just still smells like mildew. Kind of like that. But the good news is that they were able to add in a couple more privacy protections 
before the uh, the vote becomes finalized. Now they have to send this back to the House, but Mike Lee and Patrick Lee Leahy uh, increased the role of outside legal experts in FISA court hearings, allowing them to weigh in on FBI surveillance requests. Here's what Lee said on the Senate floor, quote, the friend of court provisions, amicus curiae, I'm describing provides the opportunity for the FISA court to hear from a fresh perspective, a neutral, trusted perspective, one that comes with some expertise. Now, that's good, right? It's good that we've got these these bill amendments and it's got to go back to the House that get passed again and come back to the Senate. But it's good to see that put in there. At the same time, I don't know. Uh, do we really trust they're going to have some some organization that's going to weigh in on this that's not going to be just another tool of the government, that they're not going to appoint somebody to this position who's just going to go along with the bullshit FISA that's already happened, that's just going to rubber stamp the rubber stamp? I've got my suspicions. I mean, you need more. And of course, they didn't go down the road that I would have liked, that anybody would have liked that's a liberty advocate and a privacy advocate to say, no, you need a warrant for this shit. You you can't just warrantly surveil us. You can't do any of this stuff. The FISA courts cannot be a secret court. You have to be able to access this. This goes against everything we stand for, to have a private court where you're not allowed to face your accuser, where you're put on a secret terrorist list or a secret watch list, or you're surveilled in private and, and you have no recourse And they do it to millions of people when you take in the amount of FBI information they can get with the hop system. You know, I think it's like two hops now. Once they surveil somebody, they can get them in this. It's just madness. So once again, we see just like I was talking about the opening, the opening uh, ramble about these, the establishment to duopoly system, wherein they're virtually the same. They agree on almost everything as far as the acceptance of authority and wanting to uh, to dominate the populace. They don't care. All they care about is power. They don't care about these little itsy-bitsy things that they argue that, uh, that keep us distracted. Okay, moving on to COVID. Oh, COVID. So I don't know if it's just me that's seeing this as of late or other people have been noticing this as well, but... I mean, we have seen the long march of the Democratic Party towards authoritarianism. All the while, while they decry Trump for being an authoritarian, they have been going down the path of, we want to control your guns, we want to control your speech, we want to control what you can say on the internet, we want to control uh, where your money is spent, whether, whether it's spent on citizens or not. We want to control how you travel. We want to control what you can purchase and where. We want to lock you in your homes and maintain these lockdowns because one life is too many to sacrifice. And God damn you, if you try to to even dare go to work, if you dare to go to a business, if you dare to have a firearm during your protest, well, we're going to lock you up and we're going to punish you by virtue of powers that we should not rightly even have. And of course, during COVID, this has gotten far, far worse. And it's puzzling to me just how crazy the divide is between Democrats and Republicans. Now, I don't have libertarian polling, but I got to think libertarians 100% say that the worst of the virus is over and we need to open up business. But the divide between people on this, what's become an issue of morality somehow and progressive versus conservative values where there should not be when you look at simple facts. And this comes from a poll that I see that says, the divide between Republicans and Democrats on whether or not the worst of the coronavirus is over, 43% of Republicans say the worst is over. Only 8% of Democrats. And 
If you've had conversations like the last episode I did, I discussed a lovely little conversation I had on Facebook with a couple of people. It could not be more pronounced. If you dare to question the orthodoxy coming from the state about COVID's rates, about the the efficacy of staying in, if you dare to question the economic outcome, uh, which I've talked about at length, so I'm not going to go into it, but the economic outcome versus the actual death rate, uh, the the amount of years people have to live, the, the logic in making healthy people stay home, lose businesses, shut down entire industries to protect people that are only likely to die if they're 70, 70 years or older and have underlying conditions for the most part, and who easily could have stayed home on their own. They can self-quarantine like they're doing in Sweden, or you could have government resources be spent on them that will be far less than the, what is it, $5 trillion now, and they're talking about making it $8 trillion. How about... Uh, just and again, I'm not for I'm not advocating that we spend any trillions of dollars in this. But how about instead of that, why don't we just spend 500 billion and allow these elderly people to have a little bit more protections? You could have extra layers of um, my wife walking through right in the middle of this. Have extra layers of antiviral. Have extra people working there to keep them safe. Have extra money spent on programs to deliver food, deliver goods, deliver whatever you need. Spend that money rather than having everybody forced to stay home and shut up their businesses, which may never open again at an unknown expense. But we know that it's at least five to six trillion. Now, as I said, if you dare to question that, if you point out any of these facts or if you dare to even voice like when they said what last last episode, we were told that L.A. would be locked down for three more months. Right now, Garcetti, our idiot mayor, has walked that back. But. Before I finish that thought, I got to tell you about Adam Choit's People We Love podcast. Now, Adam is a guy that I know out here, uh, actually one of the first people I met in the Los Angeles Liberty scene, a great guy, a supporter of our podcast. And you can chat with Adam over at the Lions of Liberty Pride if you join up. But he's got a podcast where he's talking to people, predominantly comedians, about what's going on, the life, the lead, uh, what kind of things they're into, but also who they love. So he's bringing in comics to talk about how they're they're looking at life, right? And then talking about the things they love. And honestly, for comics, that's kind of a trippy thing to talk about. Because especially for comedians, I don't know if people out there know this, but a lot of comedians are dark, disturbed, just messed up individuals. So it's an interesting flip side to hear a little bit more about what gives them joy, who they love, how they love, what they love. So in the People We Love podcast, Adam explores that. Now, of course, he's not just talking to comedians, uh, even though comedians are obviously the best. He's talking about people from that are musicians, people that are uh, that are writers, people from all walks of life. So I recommend that you check it out, especially if there's a person that you love. Maybe you can find a little common ground, you know, a little shared story there. But check it out on People We Love, available anywhere podcasts are heard or at peoplewelovepodcast.com. So picking it up, Garcetti, our idiot mayor, has walked that back. But now he still says that we need a vaccine before Los Angeles County opens up officially in full. Now, 
What's funny is there have been a protest. You know, I had Angela on talking about the protests here, and it was at City Hall, and there's another one, I think, on Memorial Day, which I am going to be attending. But the people, they're, these Democrats' reactions, right, this acceptance of state authority, this just absolute rolling over mentally, it's almost like members of a cult. I mean, it's like you're seeing these exact things because just like the climate cultists, just like any other cult mentality, they've invested so much into anybody that defies the government's mandates is wrong and evil, right? Have to be wrong and evil to justify their going along with these lockdowns. So the Democrats, instead of being happy that COVID isn't as bad as they thought, instead of being happy that there are signs that people should be reopening businesses as these states open up, as Georgia opens up, even Atlanta's super democratic mayor says, yeah, you know what? It's not as bad as I thought. We see Texas opening up. We see uh, Ohio now has judges overturning this law and saying open back up. And Rico just said he went to the bar the other weekend packed with people. People need to get out. They need to live. But these Democrats, instead of seeing this and saying this is good news, they doubled down on how bad it's going to be. And it really, I mean, it really echoes the climate crisis, uh, if quote unquote climate crisis, wherein you've got the orthodox viewpoint of these authoritarians saying we have to destroy these industries in order to save X. And it doesn't matter how much they shift the goalposts. It doesn't matter how much they change the parameters. It doesn't matter how much the models are wrong, provably, demonstrably wrong over and over. They can't break from the cultist viewpoint. Because if they break from that viewpoint, it's admitting they're wrong and their ego cannot handle that. And we're seeing that play out here in this acceptance of authoritarianism and totalitarianism and fucking fascism, especially when we look at the control of information and how it's being censored constantly. I mean, the movie Plandemic, which I thought was a fairly interesting watch, I'm not going to say it's factual in every sense, but it's factual that the woman in Plandemic was a doctor working for Fauci. And I, I, I don't know if they destroyed her career or not. But to see the censorship playing out there, to see Facebook marking everything and taking things down that have COVID in them. I mean, my wife listens to Sam Tripoli's show, the Tinfoil Hat podcast, and I actually want to get Sam on. I'm going to reach out to him. But he's been busy ripped off of everything. They shut him down on iTunes. They shut him down on Facebook. They shut him down on YouTube. He's got nowhere to publish now because he's talking about the conspiracy theories. He's, ex he's experimenting with his ideas, right? But you're not allowed to do that by these democratically controlled institutions. Of course, Google, Facebook, uh, YouTube, you know, that's still Google. All these podcasting apps, Apple, they're all Democrat controlled organizations that are in bed with authority 100%. And they will not allow the flow of information to open up and flow freely because they can't have anything challenge that orthodox viewpoint of lockdown good, people protesters bad. And you see the next step in this in that they have to equate the people that are protesting with being evil, which is why how many stories have you seen equating people that are protesting with white supremacists and Nazis and far writers? I saw an article that was saying, well, you know, there, this is these things are a magnet for the far right and for Nazi sympathizers. Okay, why? Because they're anti-government? I mean, that's the only argument you could make is that people that are probably right-wingers are predominantly going to be anti-government because they want to live, uh, or I should say alt-writers, or let's say national, you know, uh, ethno-state people. 
Okay, I could see that because they're anti-government. That doesn't make everybody at the protest a pure Nazi sympathizer or a uh, an alt-writer or anything else. There's simply people that want to work or there's simply people like us who don't think the government should have this authority, which it doesn't. And we're seeing that play out in these court decisions, by the way, doesn't have the go- the authority to shut down industries, to shut down economies, to print money endlessly that inflates everybody's currency. Co- it raises the cost of living, raises the cost, cost of goods to interrupt the supply chain and to force people to stay in their homes or impose draconian and unconstitutional measures as far as what they have to wear as far as garb goes to leave the house. And on top of that, there's a lot of free speech infringing things that are happening here as well with the control and censorship of information. So, that brings me to my next point. What's fascinating about these protests as well, to me, anyway, is the double standard that comes into play with these Democrats and how they view the protests. I mean, you've got people out, millions of women out protesting, right? In this, this women's day, this international women's day, when you can't really find any evidence that there's discrimination going on in the workplace, in wage gaps, all of that has been debunked. Pure and simple, it's been debunked. Women have it better today than they've ever had it virtually anywhere in the world during any period in time. I dare you to find somewhere that women have it better. And people will say, well, what about Sweden or Denmark or these places, you know, Norway that have uh, laws on the books for equality? Well, what's funny is when they actually passed Equal Rights Acts and and these, uh, these acts demanding that women have equal status and everything else in the workplace, they actually have lower levels of women being in in charge. They actually had a rebound effect, wherein even though they had all these assurances and they've had all these acts in place, well, a lot of these models, especially in Sweden and Denmark and everything else, they have such a high standard of living overall that you had a vast drop in people going into the STEM careers, right? So they push all these things and we're seeing that kind of play out in the fact that women choose to take other roles. Not everybody wants to go into science or mathematics or engineering Just because now that we're pushing it, well, all these women will sign up. No, no, some will, some won't. But predominantly, you do have women going into other careers like teaching and childcare and things that have more of a social aspect and social impact than let's go build a bridge. So as equal as you make it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to get the results that you want if you're a feminist Nazi uh, campaigner that's out there screaming that men are evil and the patriarchy has to be brought down and we need all these equality acts because you might get the opposite result of what you want at the end of the day. And because of the cost of living, or sorry, not the cost of the uh, quality of living being so high, women there opted to do careers that made them more happy. Sitting around, being an engineer, sitting in a chemist lab all day, I don't know. That's not everybody's cup of tea. It's our own J.B. Lubin's Dr. Science's cup of tea, but I don't know. A lot of people, a lot of women probably don't have that urge. They'd rather be doing something that's a little bit more in line with what makes them happy, with uh, what might be decried as biological impulses, but being more empathetic, being more in line with, uh, with helping people rather than the nuts and bolts of things. Not to say that's everybody, but... When we're looking at what's happening, it certainly seems to be the case. But anyway, sorry, I'm getting off topic here. We see these millions of women marching, right? And we see people out in the streets. If you see all these Democrats voicing their support for immigrants, especially, right? If you have an immigrant march, 
Like there was a few immigrant marches when Donald Trump was in there because they people said he was racist and anti-immigrant and anti-everything, anti-immigrants working, which some of that might be true. But you have these immigrant rallies like in Los Angeles. Ah, I'm an immigrant and I am here and I want to work. And you had all these Democrats say, oh, yes, good for you. You should be able to work, you immigrant. All right. How dare anybody tell you you can't work? This is a free country. And now you have those same people looking at protesters who aren't just white. I mean, the majority of them are white, uh, although Angela said quite a bit of the crowd was also Latino. I think she was like you know, 50-50 between white and Latino with also some uh, some black people sprinkled in there. But now you see, you know, they look at these protests where, you know, in Michigan, you're predominantly going to have mostly white people there in, in uh, unless you're in Detroit, but rural areas and outside of, the, of Detroit, you're probably going to have more white people than not. But saying that these protesters who are white are somehow racist and Nazis for wanting to work, for wanting to open up the the country and go and get their jobs and get paid for it. The same people who were fighting for illegals to be able to work in their country when they wanted now say that these people protesting are in the wrong for daring to question whether or not they should be able to go to work and run their business or go to work and make their, their wage to keep their family fed and don't just want to sit around and get a paycheck or get welfare payments or do whatever is going to be happening over the next few months as we all are, are forced to stay home at the point of a gun. And it's not just a coincidence either that they're the ones championing, championing, champing, champing at the bit, champion, I can't say it, championing, championing, championing. This is the high quality content you get at Electric Liberty Land from alternative host Brian McWillis. <laughs> I got COVID brain. What the fuck is wrong? With that? I don't know why I couldn't say that word. Oh, but these are the same people who were supposedly anti-violence, right? So many of these leftists are supposedly anti-violence. Meanwhile, they they cheer on violence against Rand Paul because Rand Paul now had dared to question God King Fauci. And his assessment of what should be done or shouldn't be done with this virus. So many people I, I saw attacking Rand Paul viciously verbally and cheering on the man who tackled Rand Paul uh, in, a, in the cheapest of cheap shots, tackling him when he wasn't looking, listening to music, not paying attention and breaking his ribs. But these people are now rooting for the police to come and brutally take these people like, like de Blasio, piece of shit mayor of New York, de Blasio said that if anybody dares to go into the ocean, dares to go to the beach during this, that they will be plucked out of the water, forcibly plucked out of the water. And I saw people cheering this on, sharing this story. Yeah, you go. How dare they go outside in an area that the government shouldn't even legally own? I mean, it's sick. It's fucking sickening. And you see this becoming this this war of ideology with the maskers versus the no maskers. I mean, the people went out of their minds cheering on a Costco employee who took a card away from a guy not wearing a mask. Now, granted, I think that Costco has every right to say, we are a business. We are demanding that you go along with this. You wear a mask if you want to shop here. It's not your right, you know, fat idiot that, that I saw in this video. No, it's not your right to go into a privately owned store doing and wearing whatever you want. That's not the way it works. And it's funny about this too. Again, the irony, the hypocrisy of the, of the leftists just going along with this authoritarian struck. They don't realize that 
as you know, as libertarians, we think that you own the store, right? You shouldn't have to bake the cake. The infamous, do you have to bake the cake? No, you shouldn't have to bake a gay cake if you're a Christian baker and, and somebody comes to your store. They can go find another store and you shouldn't be able to fucking sue them for discrimination over it. And you shouldn't have the government threatening to shut them down. You shouldn't have people going and goddamn uh, giving them a, you know, a, an authoritative mandate to do something that's against their religion or against whatever they want to do for whatever fucking reason. It's their private business. If they don't want to make a cake for whatever reason, that's their prerogative. So you've got the Democrats saying that that's ridiculous and insane, right? But at the same time, coming out and saying, well, you have to wear a mask to go into Costco. How dare you? That's a private business. You have to abide by their rules in their store. Just kind of funny to point that out, isn't it? I'm not on the side of the man that's not wearing the mask. And I think he should get booted out for breaking the rules of a, of a private business. But it's just amazing how malleable the Democratic point of view is and how it's become completely molded into this authoritarian identity, uh, wherein if you don't wear a mask, you're evil and you're wrong and you should be arrested and, you, and people will spit at you and hiss at you and call you a monster as you walk down the street. Now, I'm going to move off of this in just a minute, but I wanted to go through a couple other things, a couple other little factoids here. Um we're seeing this in the face of new studies coming out as well, saying like the CDC just revised its its uh, guidelines, saying that now surface communication of this disease is not something that they think is really possible. They think it's exceptionally rare, if at all. Two new studies uh, have also said that COVID-19 antibodies provide immunity. So the dangers of getting reinfected or having uh, the virus be transferable from you to somebody else after you've been infected and gotten over it are basically null. We're also seeing that uh, as far as the economic state of things, 40% of households earning less than 40,000 uh, K lost their jobs in March. 40% of them. This is from the Fed chairman. Not that I respect the Fed chairman, but I'll go ahead and believe these stats. So while the Democrats, again, are saying that they're for the people, they're for the lower class, that they want the lower class to thrive and succeed and they care about the working man, they're more than happy to go along with this authoritarian point of view that's keeping 40% of these households in poverty out of jobs for God knows how long. Oh, another thing I wanted to, uh, to wrap up here or wrap in here is that uh, states are sharing coronavirus as patients addresses with law enforcement. A lot of states are going along with that. So goodbye healthcare protections, goodbye privacy and healthcare. The Democrats also more than happy to go along with that authoritarian position. It's just amazing to me how far they've come from this bra burning, <laughs> excuse me, bra burning civil liberties protecting. Uh, God, I'm going to get to the ACLU in a minute too, but protecting your right to free speech, protecting your privacy rights. Have, that's all gone out the window. During the Obama era where he wanted to fight guns, he wanted to bring in mental health and allow the background checkers and allow the government to decide whether or not you could get a gun based upon a psych evaluation, right? So any psychologist, now they can share your mental records. If you go in and say that you're depressed to your doctor, they can report that. According to the government, Obama wanted that to be able to be reported. So now, because you say you're depressed because you had a rough day, you're stressed out, no guns for you. Sorry, pal, can't be trusted. Red flagged but on a federal level. Another thing I wanted to go into real quick is, uh, you know, just talk about this cultist mentality. Because it's not only a kowtowing to authoritarianism, it's also worship 
of the people that are authoritarians, the, the utmost, like, my God, the CNN, granted CNN's brother, you know, Chris Cuomo, that piece of trash. But, um, you know, you've got Andrew Cuomo being deified by all these people, being propped up as, as the next presidential great white hope or great Italian hope uh, to go and replace Biden, or at least maybe even run with Biden as a VP pick. Although I doubt, it. I think he's going to go with a woman. But you have him being trotted out there like he's this infallible being sent from above. Meanwhile, I would argue that he's handled this thing terribly. New York's had more deaths than any place. I think actually, I think California may have just surpassed it. Uh, but again, California's X times, I don't even know, you know, 50 times the size of fucking New York. But you've got tons of people dying. You've got him literally forcing nursing homes to take patients that tested positive for COVID-19 after they were, after they were uh, let go of the hospital. Like the hospital has them. They go to the hospital. They're there fighting for their lives with COVID. The hospital releases them. They may not be over the disease because the hospital says we can't keep these people in quarantine for 14 days. We have to have, we have to have turnover because there's other people that need to come in and use these beds, at least at the time of the height. And Cuomo forces nursing homes to take them in. And what happened? Oh, yeah, it spread like wildfire in those nursing homes and ended up killing like 60% of the people that died in New York City, died or, or New York State died in nursing homes. That's because Cuomo forced them to take them. He's directly responsible for their deaths. But still, he's being deified, as is Gavin fucking Newsom, as are all of these, as are Fauci. There's a, there's a goddamn Los Angeles brand of underwear that is literally producing undies that people are fucking buying. Stupid women, this is women's underwear brand, I'm not saying all women are stupid here, but stupid women, stupid progressive authority cock-sucking women are buying underpants with Cuomo's name on them, on the crotch. Newsom, Cuomo, Fauci, they want to wear these men's names, these horrible people, these horrible liberty-crushing authoritarian monsters who have many people's deaths on their hands and untold future deaths on their hands from the economic, uh, cultural abuse, alcoholism, suicide, fallout, you name it. They want to wear their names on their fucking pussies. It doesn't get more cult than that. That's prime cult. Good job, guys. Looks like you made it. I mean, that is, you, are, you are Jim Jones cult level here. I'd say you're Waco cult level, but you're going along with the authority, so they're not going to come and fucking murder you like the FBI did. Okay, two more quick things about this. Uh, I got to address Greta Thunberg being on CNN's town hall on the coronavirus, they they throw out three quote-unquote experts, right, who are arguably legit experts in their field, although I would argue that the experts have led us so horribly astray that nobody is an expert in the field at this point. But they put three experts and Greta Thunberg on what is supposed to be a very serious town hall. Now, number one, this clearly highlights that and this is something that's not even transparent. Every Democrat from Biden through to, uh, you know, I don't even know who else is talking about. Every other mayor, you know, Gavin Newsom. They've all been very transparent 
Oh, and also let's not forget the the 200 celebrity uh, assholes that signed a letter, an open letter saying that we have to include climate change after this COVID's over. We have to change the world uh, because God knows we haven't suffered enough and our economy is not destroyed as is. We have to make sure to really fuck it in the ass when it tries to get going again by putting all these climate measures in place. But what's she going to do other than say, well, my future, we have to protect the climate because the COVID is is not enough. We have to have the duckies in the air, the frogs in the swamps, and the whales in the ocean. They must survive. They must swim for hope against the COVID stream. Like, I mean, what the fuck is this bitch going to add to the conversation? She's been in seclusion like everybody else. She was in seclusion before she was in seclusion. She was in a prison that her parents had built for her, a mental prison of climate scare tactics and bullshit. She travels on fucking yachts and private jets and in first class and passenger trains. This, this chick has no concept of reality. And now she's supposed to tell us what's going on with COVID. You don't know what the fuck's going on with COVID. You don't know what the fuck's going on outside you know, your doors. Cause your parents are criminals that are abusing you. And I doubt they let you out of their sight. Just, just, God damn it. Talk about the pandering is bullshit. This is why you can't trust a mainstream media. You can't trust any of these people because they don't care. They'll trot out anybody that they think forwards their agenda. The facts be damned. It doesn't fucking matter. And then the last thing is, you know, you talk about, again, authoritarians going authoritarian. Uh, these, all these progressives, all these progressive authoritarian fear mongers, COVID cultists, not saying a peep about China. You know, there's all sorts of things going on over there. They're not, uh, they're, they hate Trump, so they're not going to blame China for the virus. Of course, they go along with the China virus being racist, even though we have called things where they come from. The Spanish flu is called the Spanish flu for a reason. We call these things the name of them. The Zika virus, you know, the, all these things. The uh, trying to think of another one off the top of my head real quick. But they name them after the places they're found. It's common. It's not racist. This started in China. Whether or not you believe it's from a bio lab or not, it started in China. We call it the Chinese flu. It's, you know, it is China's virus to own. These people say that's racist, but in the meantime, they won't talk about what's going on in China. They won't talk about how the lockdowns in China were so awful. I mean, welding people into their houses. You know, the number of people that died officially and unofficially in China is, is atrocious. I mean, it is it's almost like they just designate these people to die of of a COVID genocide within these city walls. But on top of that, China's arrested 500 plus people just for talking about the coronavirus, for talking about it on social platforms, for questioning the government's response to it. Where are these Democrats here? They don't care. Because to question what China is doing, to, to draw attention to the acts that China's taking against people that dare would question this, again, this orthodoxy that we've all been forced to accept and, they, and been spoon-fed by the media... Well, they can't do that because if they do that, that means that they could be wrong. That means that the lockdowns could be wrong. And we know that they can't live with that possibility. They would rather have people die. They'd rather have children be abused. They'd rather have wives be beaten. They'd rather have alcoholism skyrocket. They'd rather hope a heroin epidemic and opioid overdoses 
reach into the tens of thousands rather than to fucking admit for one goddamn second that they were wrong on this lockdown and that their love and embrace of authoritarianism was the wrong way to go and that the people protesting for their jobs and the people telling this whole time that none of this is worth it, that yes, sometimes people have to die for the rest of us to live, can't acknowledge that that could be a possibility. It would crush them. And so, doesn't matter what the facts are, they will continue to tell us that we're all going to die. Should we take off a mask? Should we go to a diner? Or should we have a drink with friends in the park? Okay, a couple more things to uh, to wrap up on this episode. I mentioned the ACLU earlier. I, I just, I've lost all respect for the ACLU. They, they're a, a farce. They're a satire of what the organization was founded to be. They no longer care about civil liberties. I mean, they are now actively filing lawsuits against the education department because of the changes made to Title X or Title IX, excuse me. They are actually arguing that somehow a double standard has been created in the way in which sexual assault and sexual uh, harassment is being handled. Because Betsy DeVos dared, dared to require that there be some sort of look into counter evidence that they dare to redefine what is considered sexual harassment and make sure that it's not just something like, oh, well, a guy tried to kiss me one time. That they dare to question whether or not you should just immediately believe and expel somebody. And they're saying, they're trying to, they're trying to couch this as far as DeVos giving universities a, uh, an out clause as far as shirking responsibilities of Title IX rather than giving them their fair due, giving people a chance to defend themselves against accusations. I mean, Christ, the American Civil Liberties Union is doing this is this is their take on it. Not that we have to protect people from allegations, from from unfounded half the time allegations and unprovable allegations that just could as easily have come from any person on the street that didn't even need to know somebody could just toss these allegations out because they had a personal vendetta and universities were just running with it without looking at any counter evidence. Again, I talked about this last show with Joe Biden. I just I just don't get it. And the fact that assholes keep supporting them. Like I've seen people that I know do fundraisers for them. And it just knocks me on my ass. It's like the ACLU is just running on a brand identity that no longer is viable in any way. Like they should rename themselves to the progressive civil liberties union. You know, something that redefines them and gives people some idea of what they're actually supporting because it's just rabid, manic, progressive dogma. All right, quick chop to another one. I uh, I meant to talk about this more, but I keep running out of time. I haven't talked about this craziness with Guaido and this Green Beret raid into Venezuelan territory to try to oust Maduro. They went in with like, a rag to, I mean, it's it literally, it was, it's like, it's like they took the plot of uh, the Expendables and made it into a real life raid. I mean, like this company called Silver, was it Silver Corp? Silver Corp USA. And they are hired, they're something like a $212.9 million contract, 1.5 million of which was owed in an in a, uh, initial payment. I guess they, you know, 1.5 million up front, to go in and then 212 million once they actually overthrew the government. And this is like signed by Guaido's people. We've got a literal letter stating this. 
So they hired these guys to go in, take Maduro out, overthrow the government, and then Guaido just comes right in. Now you have Donald Trump saying that he knew nothing about it, yet he's still working to free these former Green Berets that were involved. There was like a Again, a ragtag team of Green Berets and, you know, operatives from various countries. You know, like you can see a fucking Ocean's Eleven montage of them pulling the people in. Hey, you ready to rock? You're like Rick and Morty getting the crew together. You son of a bitch. I'm in. I mean, this shit is literally straight out of a movie. I can't even believe that it happened. But they go in there, fail miserably, and all get captured. <laughs> I just, I blown away by this actually happening. Now they're saying that the proposal to actually go in and do the raid was never given a green light. This is like per the spokesman for Guido, but man, clearly it was, I mean, there's been shady shit going on and I'm not saying I, I like Maduro. I think he's a goddamn socialist monster who deserves to be outed, probably deserves to have a bullet put in the back of his head, but I don't think necessarily that we should be hiring people to do it. I would hope more, more likely that uh, somebody living in that country would take him out because of the horrible situation he's put them in because the absolute poverty that he's put that country in. But goddamn crazy story, man. And then so speaking of guns, uh, second to last item here. New Zealand gun crime rates soar following gun bans. Who could have seen this coming, guys? Our idiots of the week. Of course, this was their response to the Christchurch massacre, in which all these American gun, uh, you know, gun control advocates clapped and applauded and said, "What a brilliant idea! Take away all the guns because this one fucking thing happened." Brilliant jerk offs. So, of course, what ended up happening? Oh, here we go. New figures obtained by RNZ show last year the highest rates of gun crime and deaths involving firearms for nearly 10 years. Now, there's not been a corresponding increase in officers taking out or using their guns. Ah, yeah. You know why? Because these people are robbing the other people that don't have guns anymore. The criminals who are not going to turn over their guns or can buy guns illegally are simply going to go after the people that they know have turned the guns over. So no, banning guns doesn't reduce gun crime. Just fantastic to see this play out in real time. But still, people will argue that this is a great thing. Now, it's going to be interesting to see because I talked about Canada banning like uh, like 1,500 kinds of guns after they had their own little uh, little shoot 'em up in which no measures that they just introduced, no gun bans would have stopped it because it was a legally bought gun with a guy illegally impersonating an officer, illegally going around shooting people. But it's going to be interesting when Canada now has a soaring gun crime rate uh, after their own ban. All right. And last thing, because John Odermatt is a scum sucking pile of garbage. Yes. John Odermatt, host of Felony Friday, somehow has ignored the Brianna Taylor story. I am going to do a quick talk about it. I think he's going to talk about it in uh, not this upcoming Friday show, but the week after, mostly because I've been hounding him to do it. But Rand Paul recently came out against no-knock raids. I'm not going to put the sound effect in, but palace! But came out against no-knock raids because an EMT named Brianna Taylor, I believe she was 26 years old, was sleeping in her apartment with her boyfriend. Her boyfriend was armed. When the cops came in, no-knock raid style, kicked in her door, shot this EMT dead. Right? Shot her a bunch of times, shot the boyfriend in the leg. He was shot, I think, something like eight times and lived. She got shot tons of times because basically what they had happened, two different stories here. Obviously, one from the cop's perspective, one from the neighbors and uh, and the boyfriend's perspective. 
But the cops say that they announced themselves, that they then kicked in the door, right? They announced themselves. Nobody answered the door, so they kicked it in, and then they started, you know, they got shot at, so they returned fire, killed her dead. Then EMT, 26-year-old EMT, because they had a drug warrant, said there were being drugs being sold on the property. And this is in an apartment building too, right? So these people are not alone. There's people on all sides of them, people with children. So the cops come in. They say that the guy shot at them. They return fire. There's bullets going everywhere, through the windows, through the uh, the drapes, through the ceiling, through the floors, through the walls. People next door found bullet holes in. They had five-year-old killed children there. Nobody got shot, fortunately, outside of the apartment. But this woman's dead. Meanwhile, they have body cams. Those body cams have not been turned over. And the neighbors and the boyfriend testified that they never said that they were there. They just kicked the door in or blew the door in. Now, this could have been through shooting the hinges off the doors. This could have been through any number of tactics because that door opened. But basically what happens, the boyfriend wakes up hearing, ba-blam, ba-blam, the door flying in, people storming in unannounced. He opens fire to protect himself and his girlfriend. They shoot back in a hail of bullets. One woman's dead. He's badly injured. Trying to tell the story. The neighbors say they never heard the police announce themselves at all. All they heard was the bang as the door comes in and then firing. So who's to be believed? That's the big question. I'll leave John Odermatt to talk about that more, but I did want to bring it up and address it here. Give him a little bit more pressure to get his shit together. Okay. Anyway, that's it for me, Brian. Brian, quote, alternative host, unquote, McWilliams. Uh, I want to remind you to listen to Mark on Mondays. Of course, he did have Gene Epstein on insulting me. So listen to that show. And, of course, shoot Gene Epstein a tweet or an email telling him to uh, straighten up and fly right. Of course, I'm here every Wednesday, typically, but this Wednesday was our debate show, so listen to that. Get yourself edumacated on what's going on within the party and the presidential platform. John Odermatt on Friday. He's going to have a guest this Friday, but hopefully we'll talk about Breonna Taylor next Friday. Uh, That's going to do it, guys. So wrapping it up. Don't forget one more final recommendation. Listen to The System Is Down podcast from our buddy Dan, again, who I do my Rick and Morty recaps with. Uh, Dan, who actually is uh, helping to run Vermin Supreme's presidential campaign marketing. I did my uh, endorsement video with him today, and you will see that, I'm sure, in no time at all. But he's got a great podcast. Dan's been a longtime supporter of the show, and he just talks about everything and anything. He just had a Spike Cohen on, actually, uh, the VP candidate for Vermin. But uh, Dan has no fear. He will talk about controversial topics, and he talks about them in a a conversational and calm manner. So less yelling, less contentious debate, more just open conversation. And actually, he just had on a a guy accused of hashtag me too in the early days, who was the head over at Screen Junkies. And uh, just a story of a man being accused of things he didn't do and having the pile on cost him everything that he had worked for. So... Make sure to check that out. The System is Down podcast, guys. It is available anywhere you want to listen to stuff. Okay, that's going to do it for me, Brian McWilliams. And from Electric Liberty Land, always stay plugged into liberty.